Welcome back to another episode of Consciously Clueless, the podcast that teaches you how to live a healthier lifestyle that makes you and the planet happier. The world is changing quickly. Sometimes it feels like you can't keep up. I hear you. You want to make the world a better place. You care, but you don't know where to start. You know taking care of yourself is important, but how? I get it. I have a history of diving into a new endeavor, seeking perfection, and quickly feeling like I failed. Whether it was going vegan or learning how to recycle more, I wish I had guidance to keep me on track and not overwhelmed. I can't lie, the world needs your help, but it doesn't need you to be perfect. This podcast is here to help. Here we go. Today I talked to Ed and Natasha Tatton, vegan bakery owners and cookbook authors. So we have Ed and Natasha here, and I think we can distinguish between your voices pretty easily when you talk. We won't have to have you name yourselves. Yeah, I'm the deep, croaky one. <laughs> Just to clarify. <laughs> yeah, and I have quite um, a, un- a unique, easy to identify London accent that will never leave me, no matter how long I live in Canada. <laughs> You haven't gotten any like Canadian London crossover? I have, but Canadians don't pick it up. But if I go back to the UK, then they notice words I say, like I say trash or garbage. I'll say like compost. And it's really annoying because people will just stop listening to the content of what you're saying and they'll just focus and they'll go, compost. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So the podcast is called Consciously Clueless. And I like putting people on the spot right away and saying today, right now in this moment, if it were a spectrum from clueless to conscious, where do you feel right now? Ooh, clue. I, I'm definitely more on the conscious side, but there's always more to learn. Definitely. So you can never be fully conscious. If you were fully conscious, you'd probably be like in Nirvana with the Buddha, wouldn't you? But in terms of sustainability and everything, more mm-hmm. on the conscious than the clueless for sure. Yeah, I'd put it like a high sort of eight or nine. Yeah. As like Tash said, I think there's always more to learn. Right. But I think since going vegan, I'm definitely, I think that elevates you. But I've always seen myself as an environmentalist and, you know, seen the minimum that we should be doing is, you know, recycling properly and, you know. Well, not even recycling, but just reducing. Exactly. Things like that. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in terms of you've mentioned sustainability and veganism in that last answer. So which one came first? Was it an interest in environmentalism and and veganism? And and was there one person that went for it first and then that was there an influence? So what are those origin stories for you both? I'd say for me, I I grew up in the countryside in Mm -hmm. the southeast of England and always enjoyed being outside in nature you know, like we did this afternoon, go and pick blackberries while blackberries as a kid and had a connection with seasons and fruits and vegetables and things like that. And then becoming a a chef and throughout my chef training, again, sort of using seasonal produce. So I always loved like eating fresh vegetables and Mm -hmm. had quite what I thought balanced diet before I went vegan. Mm -hmm. And then I think once I became vegan, it opens your eyes, your mind, your diet to so much more and the potential of what you can have on your plate. Mm-hmm. So what was the thing for you, Ed, that made you go vegan? Part of it was Tash. Natasha okay. went vegan first before me. And part of it was my health, mm-hmm. uh, uh, heart condition 
had a stent fitted in my aorta when I was 26. Oh, wow. Uh, made me more conscious about sort of, okay, the doctor put me on this, like, tablets for high blood pressure, things like that. Statin, yeah. Yeah, and I was just not very happy with that because I was mm. only 26, 27. There's no long term. Feels like risk. a life sentence almost. Totally. And I'm just like, what's going to, how is this going to affect other organs, you know, right. later in you know, there's this guys in the, the ward that I was in that were having the second stent fitted or pacemakers. And they were confused why I was there. They were like, wow, this is crazy. So I knew straight away, like there's certain things, you know, dairy, the clocks, clogs our arteries. Right. So I knew, you know, subconsciously I should be cutting down on things like that. We always ate a heavy sort of vegetarian diet anyway at home. Mm. And then when Natasha went vegan, it kind of, it was just easier. It was like, she was like, I don't want any animal products at home. And I always, you know, obviously I'm going to respect her decision. So I was happy with that and saw it in the beginning stages of if we all only ate meat once a week, we wouldn't be in the situation we're in. Right. Then the more you learn and the more sort of, you know, animal welfare, I always called myself an animal lover. And I'm like, how can you call yourself an animal lover if you're killing an animal and having it on your plate so very quickly I'd say within a year it was kind of a easy decision for me to make to cut all animal products out of my diet it was like all the things were kind of pointing you that direction exactly exactly in my sort of social life you know the more documentaries you see that it kind of blew up 2016 was 2015 Mm. 2016 was like I think a lot of people went vegan in those sort of in that time frame from mm-hmm. all the amazing documentaries that came out and the more you learn you almost have to, you don't need to see that sort of stuff anymore you're like right so but yeah natasha's story is a little bit different but definitely she was a big inspiration for me going vegan it was the vegetarianism first for me because i grew up mm-hmm. in poverty in southeast london on what's called a council estate which I guess you could sort of say was some sort of ghetto type place, like a lot mm. of high unemployment, a lot of social problems. Um, so sustainability was nothing. I, I didn't know anything about that really until I learned about like the Amazon rainforest and recycling at, at school at much later, more as a sort of almost a teenager. But I rejected eating meat as a child. So I was actually vegetarian first but I don't feel like I was uh, respected with vegetarianism. Like I said, I didn't want to eat animals, but I feel like I was still given like chocolate mousse was like my favorite dessert as a kid. And I just discovered recently that that generally has gelatine in it as well as egg whites and stuff. But I was like, huh, I don't think anyone was checking labels for me. But as far as I was concerned as a kid, I wasn't eating meat and I was vegetarian. So that came first and then sustainability came later for me mm. in it's kind of like the more you know the more you like I when I find out something like whether it's that you know we're cutting down the rainforest to put in cattle ranches to feed the world's demand for beef and dairy it's like for me I'm like well that's not cool like I don't want to cut down the rainforest so I just then make proactive steps to not do that but other people just seem to say I'm going to put the blinkers on I don't want to know don't tell me this because I might have to change something in my life. God forbid I have to change something. And I, 
I don't I don't understand that that mentality. It's like when you know you do better. That's what I thought. But obviously I've noticed most people unfortunately don't seem to have that in them. I don't know why. Where do you think that comes from for you? Do you think there's that like survival, like you're, you're talking about where you're growing up, like know better, do better, or just like a personality trait maybe? I don't know. I I don't know if it's about survival for me. It just seems logical. Like when you know better, right. you do you know, when you know you're doing something bad, why do you keep doing it? Right. But other people, I, t- I just guess it's other people have like a lot more memories and emotional connections to their food that they feel like, for example, Thanksgiving, we had a vegan Thanksgiving at our house one year. I mean, our Thanksgiving is always vegan. Right. We, we hosted. We hosted and we invited people and some of the people were vegan and some of them weren't. And then there were some people that came who were not vegan. And then they said, oh, sorry, so-and-so couldn't make it. They just really wanted turkey. They just couldn't think of Thanksgiving without turkey. And I was just like, wow, like fancy not going to a big event with your partner, like a Thanksgiving dinner, just because there's not turkey. Like, is it really about the turkey? Is it not about the coming together? That's fascinating. But for some people, it's like Thanksgiving isn't Thanksgiving unless there's turkey on the table. And that and association is so strong. An, an ex of mine, it was like a huge argument for us. I was vegan and he wasn't. And I was like, well, if we're hosting a holiday dinner, I'm going to at least have no meat. I want it to be vegetarian. I will cook everything, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, pan, like he was like, overwhelmed with anxiety about telling his family and I was like I'll tell him I'm cooking everything and tell him to bring this this and this and it obviously turned out everyone loved it I made like this big baked cauliflower that has been reproduced since like it was not a big deal but there was I think his anxiety came from oh everyone's gonna be mad because it's not Thanksgiving and I'm like I think when we tell them come to our warm home and let's play games and talk, they should be okay. But I guess yeah. some people can't get past it. It's true. And I don't know why I don't have that connection to these events in that way. Like for me, it's if you can replicate it with a tofurkey or make some sort of like Wellington or something really spectacular, mm-hmm. that's a sort of feature and for me it's just about the coming together and everyone having a great time and isn't it a bonus if nobody has to die for it in my opinion (laughs) but yeah like I said I've just noticed that and I think we've all noticed that most people don't have that in them they just they're just very set in their ways (laughs) so how do you handle that in your own life have you come up with people or friends or family that are like, what the hell are you doing? What's veganism? You're being silly or, you know, any of that. And if so, how do you, how do you handle that? I think we just put the message out there that we're vegan and we would prefer not to be surrounded by people eating other sentient beings. And most people kind of respect that in our lives. And Mm -hmm. we have had big family dinners in vegan restaurants and everyone's mm. bored and, and eaten something but we found that there has to be some give and take like our family they don't like fake meat we took them mm. to a really famous vegan diner on a trip to London once and Ed and I loved the toe fish and chips and thought it was the best thing mm. in the world everyone else around the table was quite mortified at how 
close vegan meat can be to real meat and it freaked them out even though they eat real meat vegan meat freaked them out so now we found that actually they prefer just to go to wholesome vegetarian vegan restaurants where you just elevate vegetables and now we know that that's great because actually we don't right. like eating a lot of processed fake meats right. either but we thought that they would like it because it was similar to mm. what they usually ate. But then we discovered, no, they prefer the full on vegan stuff. So we've come to realize what the family like when it comes to vegan That's food. Smart. Yeah. And then we were able, the last restaurant we went to, they loved it so much. They're talking about going there again if, when we're in London next. So I think we've kind of found some common ground, found what works for everyone. But there have been teething problems and people have started to get on board now with like, oh, if if Ed and Natasha are coming, like, let's do it vegan or let's go somewhere that they're comfortable with, which is really nice. And we're really grateful for that. Um, yeah, I think it's that's like what Natasha said. It's listening to families. Definitely the hardest. Like with friends, it's quite easy just to be like, lay it down. This is how it yeah. is. Yeah, totally. Like if they're a good enough friend, they'll understand. And if they're not, then. Sometimes, you know, people change and you and you go your separate ways. But with family, you're stuck with them. Mm. Generally, you know, <laughs> their blood or their, you know, they've been in your life for a long time. I think the pivoting point for me would have been our wedding as well. In mm. We got married in 2017 and it was a okay. totally... So you were already vegan. Okay. Yeah. So it was a 100% vegan wedding. And wow. for us like a celebration we had it in the forest it was a beautiful site near to where we live in the mountains and we just knew my family are big eaters we just needed lots of really tasty food so we mm -hmm. had different vendors we had a taco food truck turn up at mm -hmm. nine o'clock night you know so we were like that's the Sounds other like thing. a great wedding it was a, it was really really fun <laughs> And everyone ate really well, you know, like I've been a chef all my life. So I just wanted it to be sort of a celebration of our love, but also for food, because it's so important to us, obviously owning a, a vegan. Part of your love, it seems like. Yeah, totally. Like we're both really passionate about eating whole foods, you know, local supporting local producers and farmers. So yeah, I think that was sort of like the point where they were like, oh, they're serious about this. You that know, it's not first. like us having vegan options. It was like, if you want to come, the whole thing is going to be. Yeah. But we were paying for it and it was our <laughs> yeah, wedding. Just... People <laughs> so, and it was like the first, that was the first time that basically we mandated everyone had to eat vegan family thing. And then it was like, well, you've just done it for three days. Like, I think you can do it again, you know, if we go into a restaurant kind of thing. So everyone put up with it. I think they were pleasantly surprised that they liked the, I think there was like a sesame teriyaki fried tofu canapé thing going around. And I think they were surprised that they actually liked it. Mm -hmm. They were surprised. <laughs> so, you know, we just kind of laid it down. And Small then, wins. Yeah. And now they tell us, they're like, oh, like Ed's mum's like, I actually prefer the oat milk ice cream to the dairy ice cream. And we're like, yeah. Cool. Do you find even if they're not vegan, but someone in your life is like, oh, I actually prefer this cream cheese. They like have to tell you. They're like yeah. so excited for you to know. <laughs> yeah. And you just have to like really congratulate You're them. Like, yeah. 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 Say, great. <laughs> That's great. Hopefully they're making more conscious decisions. You know, you can't expect them to go vegan overnight, but mm. if they're being more open-minded and you know they're 
understanding and supporting you, then I think that's only a, a good thing. Well, I've I've said this, podcast listeners are like, you've mentioned this before, but I have my best friend since I was eight years old. She went vegan when we were like 11 or 12, way ahead of the curve, especially since we're in Northern Minnesota. You know, everyone's like, what? You know, I grew up hunting and fishing. Like that's what you do in the woods, right? And she would, she would like tell me about it and, but she wouldn't pressure me. And she'd go to Dairy Queen with me. And then in college, we went and, you know, like we were in college in the same city away from our hometown. And I would drive up for deer hunting season and she'd come with me to see family. And I'm just, once I went vegan, I reflected on how patient and kind she was to me when I wanted to just freak out at my family members that weren't listening. And in that angry vegan phase, I just wanted everyone to be like, hello, I figured it out. Why is no one listening to what I'm saying? This is it. This is I've got the answer. But I was like, wow, Michelle waited (laughs) and just let me be on my journey for 20 something years and was just my best friend. So when I'm like mad at people, I actually think of her. I'm like, "Okay, just got to trust. You just got to trust. Yeah. So Carly, before I went vegan, when I was vegetarian, I would do what I call incremental small steps towards veganism mm. without, without knowing it. So for example, buying organic free range eggs as opposed yep. to factory farmed eggs. So Same. for me, if I, if I see someone's buying what they consider to be ethical meat and dairy products and eggs, then I think, okay, maybe they're closer to veganism than the person that isn't. So true, so true. Do you think that hunting and fishing, like having that connection to your dinner, like seeing it alive and then pulling the trigger and then seeing it dead and preparing it all, the carcass and everything, do you think that is closer to veganism than perhaps going to the supermarket and getting a plastic packaged chicken breast, for example? Do you think it is? Oh, that's an interesting question. Closer to veganism. Because I wonder that because it's like you have that connection to the animal in some way. I think people should have to do it or see it if they're going to eat it. I mean, I'm not trying to be gruesome, but I've like I've done process from A to B growing up. Right. I remember my dad saying, like, you always you always think that you got an animal and then blah, 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 blah. And I think that is a different experience than you know, factory farming at the alarming rates and everything else. So, and I think you'll know from being in Canada as well, but indigenous cultures in the United States have been stripped of everything. And so they lived quite economically and equivocally equivocally with the land, taking one animal once in a while. (laughs) So I think there's a difference in the, not only the volume, but like you said, the connection, because I can say I've seen what that looks like and I don't want to again, but I know how the food got to be the way it was. And I knew it was an animal. That's right. And like you said, like if you hunt an animal, then you're more likely to use all of the cuts and everything. Yeah, nothing was wasted up here. That's right. And if you're going to the grocery store to buy packaged meat, then you can select and say, I'm just going to get the ribeye steak every week. And you're just choosing that of one animal and then the next week it's another part of another animal and yep you know I do feel that it's I've tried to analyze it because I, th- I think it helps me see people more on a journey towards veganism I, I appreciate you asking that question too because 
I use the vegan title. I think it's important to keep using it. That's a whole nother podcast episode because there's a whole lot of discussion around that. But I I think there's too much like infighting within oh, yeah. the vegan community. Because even you asking that question, some vegans would be mad that you asked that question. And mm-hmm. that is really stopping growth and stopping mm-hmm. anybody from wanting to listen, <laughs> you know, when that's the reaction. Cause I think that's a conversation to have. Oh, is this closer to veganism? Like, I think that's really interesting to consider and to talk about. I appreciate you asking that. Cause I've had to leave a few Facebook groups that I'm just, just can't handle the judgment for like vegan spaces. And that's not everyone. Of course, there's bad apples in every group. I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything bad about that community, but there are people that I was in one group in particular and the, the, one of the questions to get into the group, I've joined them to promote the podcast. And one of the questions to get in was like, would you buy non-vegan products for a family member? And I checked. Yes. I had, my mom was, had been sick like the week before and she wanted, I don't know, mac and cheese or something specific. And she's sick and I'm going to go get it for her. And that's what she wants. You know, that's, that's okay for me. She didn't ask me, she wouldn't ask me to go like buy a steak, (laughs) that kind of thing. And I got a personal message from one of the people that ran the group that was like this long, that was just like, you're terrible. You're not practicing veganism. That's not the right answer. You're a, like, you're a fraud. And I just, I think I actually responded, ha I'm leaving the group now. Wow. Yeah. yeah. We need, we that need more kind of curious people and we need to yeah. be, you know, like I said, it comes down to listening to people and accepting that everyone's on their own journey and things like I sometimes post things, stories on Instagram or something, and you can hide hashtags and I'll throw in some random ones like barbecue or, you know, things that like might hit different groups yeah. because if I'm just preaching to the choir and put in vegan and vegan mm. baking and all these things, right. it's going to hit the same algorithm. Whereas I sort of put plant some little seeds, then maybe someone else is going to come to our page that right. might be like, wow, I didn't even know that you could make a cake vegan by using this alternative yeah. product. And I think also, like what you're saying about, oh, vegans might be mad with me for even asking that question and discussing hunting on the podcast. But then it's like, we identify as vegan and we we live a lifestyle where we reduce or have eliminated the harm and suffering of other living beings as much as possible. Now, I know other people that use the word vegan who buy puppies from puppy breeders, who go horse riding who eat honey, who do lots of things that I could point the finger at and say, yep. how, who, who are you to call yourself vegan? You're not yep. doing that and the other. You should be doing this, that and the other. But I'm not going to because I'm like, if they identify as vegan, that means that as much as possible in their control, in their life, they've eliminated a lot of meat, dairy, whatever, whatever reason they're using that label vegan. They've obviously done a whole lot more than most people. I don't want to put them down for it. I don't want to put them down for it. I'd love to have conversations with them in in a kind way, in an open way that would help maybe navigate them to the next step. But I'm not going to go on a Facebook group and I don't know how effective any of these Facebook groups are at actually encouraging people to go vegan or helping people when all they do is just attack each other. Really? I'm going to take the sound the sound bite of the last minute. And if any group starts arguing, I'm just going to post that. Listen to this. 
(laughs) That's because you're so right. You're so right that it's just, why would I want to put someone down who's also identifying in a way that I see the world? It was just wild to me. I'm curious, as you, you talked about, you've said a couple of times, Ed, that you've been, you know, like a chef your whole life. So how was that transitioning then to vegan? And what did that mean for, like, how did that totally change your world? Yeah, it was, it was relatively quick when I made the personal decision to go vegan. I was working at a farm to table restaurant in Whistler, BC, where we are, Mm -hmm. and very close with the head chef. I was the sous chef. So I had a lot of control within the kitchen and the restaurant Mm -hmm. in decisions with regards to staffing, the menu, purchasing. I would run the kitchen when he was, you know, away traveling or whatever. Right. I was very lucky in the sense that, again, I felt like he listened to the decisions I was making. So even with the animal-based dishes, a lot of the garnish was vegan. And it was only actually about a year that I worked there when I called myself a vegan from us, from that point to opening our bakery. Oh, wow. So you moved quickly. It wasn't a long-term thing. We'd already started bread in 2016 as like a side hustle within the restaurant as I was sort of renting the kitchen. And and that was just a side thing, making the bread, getting a bit of a name for ourselves within Facebook. And then the community loved it and were basically asking us to open a bakery. So the transition period from that point, from the restaurant then saying, this has got so big, we need our sous chef back closing that down and then we sold our place we had a a little house in the uk that we had that we sold that and put all of that money plus a bunch more that we borrowed into opening bread as it as it is now and that was five years ago i love Uh, that that sometimes the universe just like opens up when you make you're just supposed to be on that path kind of thing i know it's corny but it feels like that right you like made this decision and they it was like oh what about this what about this totally yeah i don't think the community knew that it was going to be a vegan bakery they just loved the sourdough they were like we can get this once gotcha (laughs) yeah exactly that was the hook it was like (laughs) get it once a week we want it five or six days a week so we were like okay we saw a gap in the market for the population that live in whistler there was very few bakeries and no one other vegan business 100% 100% wow. vegan. We have a lot of restaurants here with vegan options, but there's only, apart from us, one juice bar. There's, you know, the classic, they're gluten-free, they make juices and smoothies. And, right. You know, it's en- very different. To energy balls and things like that. Right. Whereas for us, it was, yeah, it was sourdough, organic sourdough, vegan baking, and really amazing locally roasted coffee. So we're we so pleased that bread is inherently vegan because it's like a gateway food for us because it's like (laughs) people they like the bread they come in for the bread but then they see all the other stuff and then they buy it and then they go oh I really like these cinnamon buns I really like these cookies (laughs) and then eventually at some point they they someone tells them or they realize is it vegan yeah you you've just been eating loads of vegan food oh we had a customer we had a customer recently actually it was really cool she came in and there's now a trust which takes a little bit of time within your community to to yeah. form but she was like she walked in she was like everything here is good so she's like anything new that we put on the menu we are always trying to 
improve and move with the seasons. She was like, I know it's going to be good. So she just like bought something just on a whim. She was just like, don't wouldn't normally go for like a baked cheesecake, for example. But she's like, she just had trust in us that we tested it, mm. you know, made sure it was good before it gets to the to the customer. So that was really nice. Baked cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> Can we pause on? I know that was a beautiful story you just told, but baked cheesecake. Can we talk about baked these baked goods, and it, please? And it's gluten free, so it's gluten free oats, almonds, coconut sugar, a little bit of organic coconut oil as the base, and then a cashew and coconut cream, and then a strawberry jam jelly on top, and then we garnish it with fresh strawberries, toasted almonds, and Thai basil. And that's the other thing I love that comes from my chef background. It's like, I don't, sometimes I have that whole like imposter syndrome where I was a trained chef and I've kind of moved into a a professional baker Mm -hmm. and I'm just going to take all that knowledge of being a chef and textures and focusing on a few ingredients and instead of making it too complicated. Um, It's wild that he has imposter syndrome. He's been in kitchens his whole life. He's never worked any other type of job. And he has imposter syndrome. Our minds are crazy places. Just because I, you know, you see people that you aspire to be other top bakers around the world. And that's, they've always been in that industry. They trained in France or whatever. Like I've had a lot of training, worked in Michelin star restaurants, but only done a small amount on the pastry section. Right. I was very sort of in the main kitchen. But anyway, I'm doing okay. (laughs) I get by you know it's always learning that's the thing I feel like self-development is the key hey there it's me if you're digging this conversation so far around conscious living in this episode and you're feeling inspired to make change that's literally why I'm here if you want sustainable ways to be sustainable you hear eco-friendly or green and wonder if you're doing it right you want to make your diet more earth-friendly by going vegan you want to live a more connected life, but you're not even sure what that means. No judgment. It is possible to feel excited about making changes to make a difference in the world every single day with your choices, to go vegan and stay vegan without feeling like you're missing anything, or to learn how to make good choices for the planet without feeling stressed. I help folks who are ready to make changes in their life that support their health and the world around them through supportive coaching, practical education, and steps that make you enjoy the process. If that's you, email me at consciouslycarly at gmail.com and let's chat. Back to the episode. Hi there, my name is Amy Fagan, and I want to talk for just a second about my sustainability podcast called Grounded in Maine Podcast. I'm passionate about sustainability, and I'm dedicated to promoting its importance through this weekly podcast. I'm a student of life, and I love learning about people's stories. Do you have a story about sustainability? I'm curious to learn about you, too. Please follow me on Instagram at Grounded in Maine Podcast and find my podcast wherever you listen. Yeah. That's back to that beginning question, right? The clueless to consciousness, that that room for growth, that ability to to seek more, but also being content with where you're at too. I get caught in that forgetting to be present because I'm like, but then this and 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 this. As well. And surrounding yourself with people, like yeah. being married to Tash, she is the queen of self-development. Like she she never stops. Like, I mean, we're both <laughs> very, very busy, but this lady is like 
podcasts, this, I've read this article, I'm doing this, I'm sending this person email. So I think surrounding we should be friends. <laughs> yeah, totally. With people like that, then just give you more drive. Yeah. Aggressive self-development, I call it. Yeah. <laughs> aggressive. <laughs> aggressive. Yeah. Aggressive. I'm gonna start saying that too. Yeah, seriously. That's so funny. People go, what time do you get up in the morning? And I go five o'clock and they go, oh my God, how can you get up that early? I go, it's the best time, it's best time of the day. Got all the time to yourself. It's peaceful. It's quiet. It's quiet. So much done. If you get up at 5 a.m., you get so much more done with your day. If I get up at eight o'clock on like a day off, I'm like, I've wasted half the day. <laughs> I'm not gonna. And then get you rich. feel like you're like, no matter what, I know I got this, this, and this done already. So when you get yeah. up early, that is a nice feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So how has it been then transitioning to bread as a side hustle to your life? And now you have a cookbook coming out. Yes. Both uh, of your both of your eyes just got big, and you both paused for listeners that were like. Oh, we're fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> Don't prepare yourself for opening a food and beverage business for the first time. It takes a lot of energy. Like you can look at our Instagram video and we're playing nice tunes and we're like edge shaping the dough and it's really idyllic. And we do love what we do, but there's a lot of hard work that goes into it. So thank God we love what we do because... Yeah. <laughs> I think some people think like, oh, that's really cute. Look at this cute bakery. Like they just make bread and. (laughs) Yeah. But reality check, like there's a lot of dishes to be done. There's a lot of like hard work that has to go on. You know, there's a lot of, you have to be really on top of your, your finances. You have to get comfortable with all these different aspects. For us, it's been learning about bookkeeping and finances it's been well. about I know, I know it's not it's not it's that not. would be that would be where I don't want to aggressively self-develop I'm like yeah. someone else can do that right totally like having policies for your company like human resources like looking after your people managing yeah yeah you're in charge of other people now or not yeah. in, charge, well, in charge of and, and responsible for their their livelihoods but I think you, you summed it up there like there's some things that you don't want to do if you don't want to do them, find someone that can do it better than you. Like work to your strengths right. is also very, is key because you need to earn money. You need to be, you know, <laughs> like positive in that sense. Like some people are just like, oh, you're B Corp. So we give away a portion of our revenue and things like that. But we still need to make money. We need to p- pay right. people a wage. But then we, what we found is let's find a really good bookkeeper and an accountant so they can they might be expensive but if they're really good at what they do then they'll help us make more money yeah and we would spend quadruple the time trying to do what they're doing and time is money when you own a business Mm -hmm. that's right and I meet other business owners and they'll tell me like I just need to get around to doing my books I'm like what are you doing them for you're in the restaurant every day like pay someone to do it and they're like Oh no, I like to do it all myself. I'm just like, no, 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 no. You can't afford to be spreading yourself that thin because you end up nothing that well. So if you want to make the best bread in the world or you want to give the best service in the world, then focus on those things. And but it's been a journey for us to get there. Mm -hmm. Like it it hasn't been easy. Yeah, we didn't know this straight away. You You, you learn from failing. Right. You don't know if a good accountant or a bad accountant until you realize you don't you have a bad accountant like oh, you, 
Yeah. So, so there's been a lot of learning. They don't then. come with Yelp reviews, right? <laughs> Accounts. Just the name Yelp. It sounds like pain. Yelp. I mean, a dog yelps if you stand on its tail. Like, Yelp. don't get me started on Yelp. She uh, says. Yeah. Honestly, we're all about Google reviews. We're all about Google, <laughs> Google reviews. Got it. Happy cow, even better. But Yelp. No, thank yep. you. <laughs> <laughs> It is true. It's not a, it's not a, like, this is going to be a fun experience kind of word, is it? It's not. It's the worst name for a review site. It should be called Yay or something instead of Yelp. You heard it here first, folks. We are starting the petition to move Yelp from Yelp to Yay. Yay! (laughs) Another review on Yay! (laughs) This is more fun. (laughs) It is. People are so trigger happy to go straight onto these review platforms if they think they've had a bad experience but when they have a really good experience which I'm happy to say is most of the time they forget to put that out there I try and be really intentional about that because it is tough and you can tell like if somebody has left a negative review if you click on their profile you'll see they've left loads of other places, negative reviews. And it's just a shame that people are happy to tell the world about a bad thing, but not happy to tell the world about a good thing. So if you've been to any great restaurants or businesses, what have you, then why not share the love and spread the good energy out there Mm. rather than just kind of like expecting everyone to listen to your, you know, sad story. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, especially in terms of everyone's like, well, I wish I wish I had more money to support businesses I love or whatever. I'm like, you don't have to. If you share my Instagram story talking about my coaching services, that's helpful. And that Mm -hmm. didn't that took you three seconds. If you leave a Google review like that actually can make someone else go to that restaurant. And that took you a minute and a half. You know, there are things you can do to support people in their yeah and if you've had a negative experience just write to them directly yes just email them hey guys i just want to give you some constructive feedback that when i came in you know i didn't like the demeanor i didn't like the way i was spoken to didn't enjoy this product you know and then they can rectify and actually do something about it and learn yeah exactly i just feel like sometimes it's just like what are you trying to do we're like a family business we're trying every day if you just told us in the instance or mm-hmm. send us an email you know maybe we can send you a gift card or we can apologize right. then you know rather than just trying to put people off coming to your business so yeah i think we just could be a bit more positive in that sense yeah and it, and it contributes like you said like put more positivity out there like that contributes mm-hmm. i totally believe in that contributing to the energy Right. If we're, what are we focusing on in our brains? Is it the negative experience or the positive? Yeah. Yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. And especially with hospitality, a lot of businesses are struggling. I just discovered that a vegan vegetarian restaurant in Vancouver has resorted now after after probably being in business for ten years. They've now added meat onto their menu, which all the vegans and vegetarians are, you know, devastated about. And we are direction to head. Very yeah. weird direction, but they're panicking and they're saying we need to make our menu more inclusive and invite our omnivorous friends in. And you know, it's yeah. very controversial. <laughs> as, as a vegan owner and operator of a business, there's there's just no way I could ever go down that route. It's like right. there's got a way. But for all the vegans and vegetarians out there, it's like, were you supporting this business? Like, what were you right. doing? 
them, you know, keep them successful. And if they feel like they've got to resort to that, they must be doing quite badly. And I don't know if it's right. going to get any. Now they've, you know, God bless them. They've just alienated most of their customers. Mm. So they're going to have to work double hard to find a whole new audience that want to come and support them. So I don't think it's a great business decision in on any level. Um, right. But that they felt that they had to do that is tragic but it's just a reminder like people have got so many options now in different restaurants a lot of vegans will go to let's just say kfc have a new vegan something awesome but if there's a vegan restaurant like just a few doors away like why not right. them like because their ethics are gonna help the world a lot more because I don't know if people realize this Katrina Fox is she used to work for Forbes she's a, a vegan journalist actually and she's interviewed these people at KFC and other fast food places when they've brought plant-based options on the menu they actually said that it, it increased the sales of meat products because if you've got a whole family and one of you's vegan and then you before you'd have to say, well, we all have to go to the vegan restaurant because this vegan person oh, can't get wow. at this, mm. you know, meat restaurant. But now, because the meat restaurants generally have vegan options, now the whole family go to the meat restaurant. So having the vegan options brings in more sales of all products. And I think that's very interesting and something that not a lot of people realize that sales of meat go up when the restaurants put on vegan and vegetarian options. So it's just good what to know. What a double-edged sword too, right? Like it, it's one mm. of those things, a reminder that we are in late stage capitalism. So we were, like are not able to be perfect in an imperfect world. And that is a, a reminder I know I've needed along this journey and living more consciously a lot. Because when I first started, I mean, that's part of the reason I started this podcast is I realized it, it just didn't feel like there was as much approachable content and conversations around this stuff that I was looking for. Because when I first started looking at sustainability, I was like, oh, so to be sustainable, I have to fit all my year's trash in one jar. And if I can't do that, then I suck. <laughs> like <laughs> that's how it, the internet made me feel. <laughs> yeah. And God bless to the people who can do that. But like, that's not, that's not something I can do but I can do mm -hmm. a lot of other stuff, right? So how is sustainability a part of bread and, and your mission? We do a lot, don't we? We do. I mean, we, we're we very proud that we now B Corp certified, which was Amazing. a massive, massive achievement for such a small business. Yeah. And again, Natasha's like, baby, she owned that. You know, there's we're a We're getting lot. the certification, but it's because what we... So we could have got a vegan certification, but the problem with that is... I feel that all that says is we don't use meat, eggs, dairy, fish. We don't use any of that. But actually what we do is way more than that. We right. use organic ingredients. For example, all the wheat that we source, it's organic. So the farms that grow the wheat don't spray Roundup, which is glyphosate, which is known to be incredibly toxic. It gets into the waterways and there's just a buildup of it in the ecosystems and in our own bodies. And, um, causing a lot of health problems, but there isn't enough research done into it. There isn't the funding there because the companies that are spraying all this stuff are very powerful and have a lot of money, but it is thought to be quite a dangerous um, toxic mm -hmm. chemical. And it's being sprayed all over the world. People think it's just in America, but no, they used it in Europe. They use it in Canada. They use it in many places around the world. 
So we opt for organic flour. That is three times more expensive than the non-organic flour. But we feel that like that's the vegan choice because these right. pesticides, they, they kill. They kill insects. They kill animals that eat the insects when you have a buildup. They're probably killing us, you know, giving and us the people that work there are mm-hmm. not yeah, doing they're great. Really and they probably end up lung problems, heart problems, etc. So using organic, sourcing locally as much as possible. We support all our local farmers as much as we can. We trade bread for uh, produce a lot of the time as well because the farmers love the bread and we love their fresh produce. So we have a really nice kind of exchange that goes on with a lot of our local growers. And then we we strive for zero food waste so nothing gets wasted so the other, the other thing is we, so we donate we, we donate yeah i mean the b corp certification also means we look after our staff you know we're very much like pay a livable wage have health benefits and then every coffee that we sell we plant a tree in sub-sahara africa so we really go beyond what we need to in a way like we we like you said all these things it's an umbrella of things we're always trying to improve and make the bakery as sustainable as possible really and mm-hmm. and let our customers know that if they spend you know they buy their coffee with us over one of these big companies you know they're doing a lot more than just buying a coffee they're supporting right. the local economy and also you know planting trees in sub-saharan africa to counterbalance, you know, the packaging that we're using, even though it's 100% compostable. And it's also the home home of coffee. It originates from sub-Saharan Africa. So it's nice to pay it back to those guys. And actually, I just calculated that we've donated around $20,000 in total to animal and environmental social sustainability causes since we've been in business. So that's quite a significant contribution for a, like a mom and pop shop over and we try to educate our audience our customers our mailing list our instagram followers on all the things that we do and inspire people to live a life like this for example today on the day that we're recording this show we were out foraging wild blackberries that we can use in our walnut sticky buns with blackberry jam that we have at the bakery recipes also in our upcoming cookbook and this is awesome because blackberries are an invasive species in the northwest so us foragers great green light go hack it all down and get all the berries <laughs> and and eat them all and don't feel bad no one's going to stop us because we're doing the the environment a favor by getting rid of this invasive species that just happens to taste delicious delicious yeah. How yeah. was what was the move from going to having the restaurant to we've got to put out a cookbook? That feels like a whole nother journey. Yeah. The publisher came to us. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, what a compliment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it what well, the catalyst was we'd been open for almost a year. We were one week short of a year when March 2020 came along and the government said shut all the businesses down stay at home, big lockdown for COVID. So we lost all our staff, but within 24 hours overnight, we actually launched all of our products on an online shop. So we started e-commerce. And so we shut down on the Sunday. On the Monday, we were taking orders through our website for bread. And Ed and I ran it, just the two of us, once a week. There were no 
guidelines on what to do during the pandemic with a business at this point. So we just scheduled everyone with a five minute appointment. So it'd be like 11.05, come and pick up your order. And next person, 11.10. That's amazing. It was crazy. It was so crazy. And then we had this like table at the front of the bakery and I'd sanitize it, put the order on and I'd run back like 10 foot distance and then be like, thanks so much. And then the next one. And it was kind of crazy. And a lot of other businesses just totally closed until they were told. So because we reacted so quickly, we got featured in Forbes magazine and we also won a small business BC award as youth entrepreneur of the year. So they awarded that to us in 2021 because of our quick pivot in 2020. And then from that, we got like some media stuff. We were on some podcasts talking about our pivot. Everyone was talking about the pivot, you know. that I saw saw some of your interviews from that time and I was like, oh, wow, they were getting a lot of coverage in 2020, like during the pandemic. Online shop and started taking orders the next day. And so then Penguin, an editor heard us on a show she didn't even know which show it was we were on loads of stuff and then they they wrote to us and said would you like to write a cookbook on vegan sourdough baking but at this point we'd lost our team we'd reopened and we had no staff and we were borrowing people from all sorts of places and And they were like ed was working from 4 a.m till 7 p.m it was horrible and i'm like i get this email like do you want to write a book and at the time i'm just like if I'd gone to Ed at that particular time, like he's like mega overworked and be like, yeah, do you think you've got time like, to write a book? This is I the thing to... that makes him snap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? I had to I had to pick my moment. So I think I left it like a couple of weeks and was like, oh yeah. And like, just kind of casually mentioned Penguin Random House. We're wondering if we'd like to write a vegan sourdough book. And we're sort no of- No pressure, hard. just think about it. No big deal. Pressure, just kind of, Haha, how funny is that? As if we've got time for that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for me, I was like, we have to say yes. It was an instant yes. Like, I wouldn't call myself like a big reader. Like, I love reading cookbooks and stuff and the odd book when we go traveling or, you know, on holiday and stuff. But Penguin, for me, like, I grew up with, that's definitely a publisher that I know about and a lot of people do. Yeah, Uh, a lot of kids' books. This is huge. Like, if it was a publisher, I'd be like, oh, you know, they're new. They just want to start getting into cookbooks. But I'm like, Penguin is huge. And also, and they, they reached out to you. That's they came to us. There's like there's loads of vegan cookbooks, but actually, there's not many vegan baking books, or not of there's that. Not. You know, there's muffins and brownies and simple cookies and things like that. But there's nothing like we wanted when we talked about it. We were like, we want to make this approachable. I don't want to go right. like mega fine dining. Like you need all this like expensive equipment. You know, I wanted to have like obviously the foundation is sourdough. But we just wanted a book that was really nice cakes and cookies and small breads, like a hundred recipes, but all sorts of things, you know, for special right. occasions, festive times. So we really sort of brainstormed a book that we would love as big home cooks and foodies, I guess. Something that would be good for an intermediate, beginner, intermediate, or advanced baker, something you can grow into something that yeah I just wanted I was really stoked to to take on this project and somehow make it work (laughs) I mean they gave us a year which seems like a lot but then when you're talking about like running a business running a business but then (laughs) developing these recipes testing the recipes you know two recipes a week is is quite intense especially 
certain points of the year where Christmas, no chance. Like I have a zero free time. So it actually became three recipes per week. Then we had to shoot the recipes and a lot of it, I wanted to do as much as possible with natural light. So it, it was fun. And I would definitely love the opportunity to do it again because we've learned from it. But that would all depend on how well this first book goes. Right. Right. Well, I'm excited. I think I need to get my hands on it because I've always considered myself, or at least this is what I say, is that I'm more of a cook than a baker, Mm -hmm. which I think a lot of people say because you're probably just like internally rolling your eyes at what I'm about to say already. I'm just like, but cooking, you can just like keep adding and things will work out. And baking is a science and it stresses me out. (laughs) Remember earlier in the show that I said, you know, I have that imposter syndrome and stuff. I still feel like that. Yeah. And there is a bit of leeway within baking. Certain people are just like, it has to be like, for for me, the best way is get a set of digital scales because Mm -hmm. you can't go wrong. If you have, like I know, like the Americans, they I've laugh. been told that before, and and it, I haven't it, done it, but I probably it, should. That will definitely like make it a lot more successful. Like I almost wanted to say to the publisher, "Can we sell a pair, like a simple set of digital scales?" Like we because like cups promotional I, item. But we have cup measurements well, in the book, so we do have it in yeah, grams. They and made us cups put them in there because it has to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do because they're like Americans won't understand. Yeah. Basically, yeah. They said if you don't have cups, you're going to get like one star reviews on Amazon. <laughs> you have to have cups, and we were like, no, but it's baking. Like it has to be precise. Like a cup is a volume. It's not a weight. It's very different. And you know, one person's cup. People just shove the cup in the flour, and they don't even check if or it's level. Like bake it down, or yeah, yeah, do you pack it down? Is it heaped? Like you could do two cups of flour. They could be totally different weights. So we were very concerned about that. And we we sort of had a lot of back and forth with the publisher in the beginning. And then I went into cups, pounds, and kilos, because then is it imperial or metric? We wanted the book to appeal to everyone around the world, obviously, that can speak English, although I don't know if it's translated into other languages. That would be cool. But we were like, we Uh want Americans, we want Canadians, we want Brits, Aussies, whoever that you know can read the book to use it and then and then eventually the editor got back to me and said this is a bit overkill can you just choose like kilos <laughs> or pounds I was like oh my god okay so there was a lot that of- would be me I'd be like but I want everyone to be able to use it yeah, <laughs> yeah. every measurement ex- that exists people can find it in our book but if you've got digi scales, then it really doesn't matter because you just put it in the mode of whatever the recipe is. So if it's pounds, just switch it to pounds and ounces. And if it's kilos, switch it to kilos and grams. Okay, like, okay, I'll get a digital scale. That's the big takeaway from this episode, everybody. Yes. <laughs> but also it's less dishes in a way because you can just have the bowl on the scale and then True. you're just adding to it. Okay, and that's the final tipping point for me. Dishes is my least favorite chore. You got me. I live in a tiny home with a sink like as big as my head. So it's such a chore. That's you got me. That's it. That's the selling point. I will. I will be getting a digi scale. I was just going to ask if you either of you had anything to share that I haven't given you space to do so. I was just going to say, like, we really enjoyed writing the cookbook. Like, Mm -hmm. it's our way of being able to share the bakery. Like, we're never going to franchise our bakery. Like, 
I urge anyone listening, if they're thinking of coming to British Columbia, come and see us in Whistler. It's a beautiful place to come. I've and never been. I would love to. It's been on my it's list amazing. for a long time. Yeah, I mean, for us, we were supposed to come here for six months and we've lived here for 10 years now. Oops. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's definitely got a hold on on people. And come and see us, you know, you get a warm loaf of bread. That's one of our USPs is that everything is baked fresh in the morning. That's 100% vegan, obviously. But then if you can't visit us um, for whatever reason, then this is our way of sharing our bakery with the world because there's yeah. loads of classics in there. Like I think the 50, half of the book is things that we've made in the bakery, carrot cake, oh. cinnamon buns, you know, cookies, certain breads that we've done that are classic bread recipes. And then there's a lot of other fun recipes that we're not able to do for you know we've got we don't have an extraction so we can't do donuts but there's right. a really like chai pumpkin donut recipe in there with a cranberry and raspberry jam that i'm definitely craving right now <laughs> uh, i'm uh, so hungry i always end up doing interviews when i'm hungry with people that talk about <laughs> vegan food yeah. there's a zero waste chapter in there as well mm. for people that have sourdough discard because you have to feed your starter often and i've then... killed two sourdough starters <laughs> in my life so far i'm that's not it's rough well we've got a guide in the book third at time the start. yeah third time you know <laughs> make your own and then there's like maintenance so how you can you know have the best chance to to keep it and work with your schedule i think that's key is not thinking you have to make bread every day you can make bread once a week once every two weeks right just keep in the fridge and then bring it out give her a couple of feeds and and you'll be ready to go and i was the final straw when someone told me i needed a digital scale was when i killed another sourdough starter and they're like well do you have a digital scale and i was like not (laughs) yet (laughs) not yet i really like the discard recipes because things like waffles and favorite food pancakes i'm not sure if you're familiar with crumpets but it's similar to an english muffin holes inside and you do them in a pan they're really good Mm. there's a lot of like tasty things that are fairly simple recipes to follow that you can use your discard with if you don't want to commit to making a whole loaf of bread that's really cool but i was just going to say that we spoke earlier in the show about the infighting between vegans Mm. and there's debates between vegans and non-vegans but you can cut through all of that crap when you give someone something delicious to eat because somebody can stand there and say I'm a hunter I love killing animals and and whatever they want to say but if I give you a vegan cookie or cake or cinnamon bun or a slice of sourdough bread and you think that's delicious you'll want to eat it again no matter what your political religious or worldviews are mm-hmm. you just want to eat that again so I feel like baking is a great way to do that <laughs> yeah why everyone needs to go and buy this book <laughs> that's so true because I have you know if I have a get together or a party or anything I always serve just vegan food and everyone's always like wow this is so good and I'm like ha you know like it's just like that's the thing it can be the people that are surprised it's so fun so everyone yeah. should go buy this new cookbook and impress your non-vegan friends and your vegan friends of course totally so yes it's coming out actually November 7th but it's available to pre-order now Thanks. so you you can just search it on on Google or you can head to our website, 
which is edspread.com, just spelled E-D-S-B-R-E-D.com. So we missed out the A just because... Bread spelt like Ed. Yeah. That was the idea. <laughs> I make the bread. <laughs> I love a good rhyme. Yeah. I you, appreciate it. Hit us up on Instagram as well because we try and sort of post a lot of tutorials and, you know, do Q&As on there and things like that. So Ed's underscore bread. I love that. I will have all of the ways people can get in touch with you in the show notes so people can follow along as your Ed's bread journey unfolds. Oh, thank you so much, Carly. If you're hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode of Consciously Clueless. And for that, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this new episode. And if you did, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or tag me and share in social media. Share this episode with others who may be interested in this topic. To get more resources, influence on topics covered, and bonus content, join the Consciously Clueless community over on Patreon at patreon.com slash consciouslycarly. And don't forget, if you need help living more consciously, let's work together. Email me today. See you next Wednesday for a new episode.